Well, good morning, Mosaic. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. Uh, I'm the interim pastor here at Mosaic through this season. Uh, we're three weeks into, into this transition for us as a church, uh, which has been a pretty exciting three weeks. Uh, it's been a privilege and an honor uh, to step into this role. Uh, but it's one of those seasons for us that could definitely feel, it could feel like you're, we're a little bit in the wilderness, which is why we really wanted to kind of embrace uh, this season for us. Uh, because as we've been walking through this story of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days in the scriptures, and just seeing kind of the parallels to what it really says about the character of Jesus, and what it says about those seasons of testing in our life, those seasons of the wilderness, and what God can do us do through us through those seasons. Um, and so really the first two weeks we kind of talked about how, uh, you know, Jesus is the new Moses who's kind of leading us on this exodus from slavery into the wilderness towards the promised land. And then last week we talked about how uh, Jesus is the new Adam uh, because Adam took us from a garden into the wilderness and Jesus is taking us, meeting us in the wilderness and bringing us into a garden. Uh, and so this week we're going to talk about another new thing that Jesus is bringing us into. Uh, This is our last week of the series, and it's an exciting week. Uh, This is the start of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and people waved palm branches at him, declaring him king, and only less than a week later, uh, choosing to uh, allow him to be crucified on a cross. Uh, And so today is a big day. Today is a very monumental day. Uh, and today's a, a day where we really talk about what's that new thing that Jesus is bringing us. Um, before we do that, before we say exactly what that is, I'm curious, what is, what's the last new thing? What's the last brand new thing that you bought for yourself? Not for someone else, but yourself. Just say it out loud. What was that thing? A car? Yeah. I wish I could buy a brand new car. That new car smell. What else? Food? I guess I could count. <laughs> That's the new thing, new thing, absolutely. What's the last new thing you bought for yourself? I heard shoes and a lot of murmuring. So don't make me turn into a teacher and scold you guys for that. Yeah, but the thing about, the thing about buying brand new things uh, is those things last for, that newness lasts for such a short period of time. Like when you buy a car, it has that new car smell and you have the excitement, but really it's only like a few weeks goes by and the excitement of that car begins to wear off. Or we dream about a new house. Uh, And how often do we dream about that new house or that perfect house and then we get it, but then it quickly just becomes the new norm for us. Or we dream about adding a new member to our family and then the first sleepless night you're like, I made a big mistake. Right, I remember for me when I was in junior high. Uh, well, growing up, I loved music. I loved music so much uh, to the point where I always needed the radio on to go to sleep at night. And so I remember I was probably about ten years old, and I'd always have the radio on. And for some reason, my mom would always put like the cheesy '90s love song radio station on. Uh, do you remember like Brian Adams from the Prince of Thieves movie? Yeah, everything I do, I do it for you. Right, that was the jam. Right. Or like meatloaf, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Does anyone know what he's talking about? No one does, but it's provocative, right? So we like it. So, 
But it's kind of weird that my mom would choose to put like this weird uh, radio station on every single night for me to live to. These weird, uh, these weird love songs. But I love music, and so when I hit junior high, I went from cheesy love songs to like the grunge alternative music phase. That's when it was like really big. The days of Pearl Jam, and uh, my first album I ever bought was the Weezer Blue album. Anyone have that album? Yes. Right? My very first album, first CD I ever got, I was so excited. Uh, I listened to it probably a million times, and I would put the song Say It Ain't So on repeat. Right? So I'd be playing Sega, put Say It Ain't So on repeat. And I remember there was one day I was sitting there, it was probably a few weeks after I bought the album. I'd listened to the song maybe 27,000 times. Uh, and something clicked in my brain, and all of a sudden the, the song didn't carry the weight that it used to. And I remember, I, I remember just thinking to myself, like, what happened? So I listened to the song one more time, and I felt like, I felt like something was gone. Uh, and so I told myself, I'm not going to listen to this song for a whole day. So I didn't listen to it for a whole day, right? <laughs> I cut myself off. I went cold turkey. Uh, and then the next day, I listened to it, and it felt just as bland as it did the day before. So I said, okay, I'm not going to listen to the song for a week. And I didn't listen to it for a week, and I listened to the song... And I remember being so heartbroken because the thing that I loved so dearly, that was new and fresh, just became old so quickly. And so I went out and bought a new album, and then after a month, that album got old. And then I bought another album, and after a month, that album got old. And pretty soon, my, my book of CDs was full of CDs that were just old, that were kind of bland. Uh, see, I think for us, we get addicted to the new Right? We get addicted to those things uh, that we want change. Out with the old, in with the new. Uh, but really today, I, I wonder if we're missing something uh, profound with our obsession with the new. Uh, I wonder if we're really, really missing something when we rush the process. I wonder if we miss something when, when we really, we reap the harvest of someone else, but we're not necessarily planting ourselves. Uh, and so, see, the thing I think about it, like, if, if Jesus is, is wanting to bring us back into a garden, and I think about God's first command to us as humans to be gardeners, uh, and what does it take to have a garden, right? You've got to till the soil. You've got to plant seeds. You've got to water seeds. And ultimately, you have to patiently wait for those things to grow. Um, I got to plant some flower bulbs with Manny in the fall, and... We planted them in the ground, and then this week, the first tulips came up, and then they bloomed, and they were bright yellow. And I got, to, I got to go outside with Manny, and I was like, Manny, do you see what you did? Right? Months and months and months and months ago, you planted these seeds in the ground because we had faith that these seeds would ultimately become these beautiful flowers and that life would grow if we just waited for it. And then he looked at me, and he said, can we pluck them? <laughs> like, you don't get the point, man. I'm trying to teach you something here. See, what seeds are you planting in your life? What are those seeds that you, that you are really uh, tending and caring for? What are those things that you're investing in for the long term? Uh, what are those things that you're choosing to, to garden that you may not necessarily ever reap the benefits of or reap a harvest from? And so really, I've loved this story of Jesus in the wilderness. I've loved it because it's so layered. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we just read it like it's almost like an autobiography. 
But we forget how, how deeply, how amazing of writing and writers these, these actually are. And how a simple story about Jesus' baptism and Jesus in the wilderness can be so layered and have so much meaning. And that Matthew can create so, can say so much about the character of God and the character of Jesus uh, through his writing. And so what I want us to do is I really want us to, I, I want us to look at this story through one more lens today. And the lens that I want us to look at is really how Jesus is really bringing us into a new creation through this story. And how this story is actually echoing a lot of what's happening in the very first sentences of the scriptures. And so what we're going to do is, I, we're, is I'm going to read this story for us one last time together in full. I'm going to take a little bit more before and a little bit after for the context of really the message today. Um, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. If not, it'll be up on the screens for you to read along with. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And then I'm going to jump down just four verses. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, the first thing I want us to point out, the first thing I really want us to recognize about this story is the baptism portion of it. And so I want to jump back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Uh, that word alighting is not really a word we use all the time. It really just means coming to rest on him. Uh, and if you've ever seen popular imagery or art, whenever they try to depict the Holy Spirit, a lot of times they choose the image of a dove. And the reason they choose an image of a dove is they're really looking at this passage of Scripture here. The thing that we really need to understand about this story, though, is it's not like this ghost dove that's coming down on Jesus, right? Because if you really read what it says, it says, uh, descending like a dove, 
And that, that, that like a dove is vital for us to see. Because like a dove, if you've ever seen a dove land on something, what happens is, because they're a fairly big bird, is they'll, they'll fly, they'll fly, and then they flap their wings really, really fast, really, really fast, and they almost hover over the perch before they come to rest on it. So really, this is an image of the Spirit of God descending and almost hovering over Jesus before coming to rest on him. Uh, The New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, And the Greek word that Matthew used here is the word pneuma. The word pneuma means spirit, but it also can mean wind or breath. Uh, And so this imagery of the Spirit of God hovering uh, like what is, like that really, it, it, what, what's supposed to trigger us, it's supposed to trigger us what's happening right at the beginning of the Bible, right at the beginning of scriptures, that the Spirit of God was hovering. Uh, the Old Testament, Genesis was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which also means spirit, wind, or, or breath. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 it says, Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so what Matthew's really trying to do is he's trying to get us to see the parallel between what's happening at Jesus' baptism and what's happening right at the beginning of scriptures, that the Spirit is hovering here in this moment, right? And so in Genesis 1 verse 2, we see just how God creates that the Spirit of God, the breath of God, like what happens after Genesis 1-2? God says, let there be light. God uses his voice to speak. God uses his breath to speak, right? The Spirit of God is the creative being of God, right? The Spirit of God is the creator of all things. And so really, like Matthew's trying to get us to tie those two things together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And now the earth was formless and void, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right? So I think sometimes we can get tripped up because before God creates anything, we see this imagery of waters. Because it's like, well, how could there be water if God hasn't created anything yet? How could there be something if God hasn't created anything yet? And really what we have to understand about that is don't let it trip us up. uh, Because this is really how creation accounts happen in that culture is that if you looked at the other creation accounts from that time period 4,000 years ago, is they all start with these chaotic waters. Eric Smith really tapped into this when he walked us through the Genesis series a few months ago, that it starts with this chaos of waters. And really what ends up happening is uh, God creates essentially uh, like a a bubble, right, in all these creation accounts where there's waters below and there's waters above. And so... And so really what the intention of Genesis is, is it's trying to really tell us how different God is from all these other deities, right? That if you look at the other creation accounts, is that God, is that these gods create humans for their own benefit. But if you read the Genesis account, God is creating humanity in his image. And he's not doing it for his own benefit. He's doing it to actually serve us, right? And so this idea of these chaos and these waters, right? This is so pivotal uh, to, to really this, this idea of formless and void. Uh, and you can jump to that next slide now. The idea of formless and void, uh, it's this Hebrew word, tohu wabohu. It's a fun word to say. Say it with me. Tohu wabohu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun to say, isn't it? Kind of a weird word. Tohu wabohu. It's this idea of formless and void. 
formless and void. And so Tohu Wabohu uh, is, is really essentially, when you read through, if you read through the Old Testament in Hebrew, uh, you would see that word Tohu come up almost every time they talk about the desert or they talk about the wilderness. So it happens in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. It says, in a desert land, he found them. Uh, in a barren and howling waste. So in the wilderness, he found them in a barren and howling waste. And that word waste is tohu, right? So, so often the way that they describe the wilderness is this idea of it's barren, it's void, it's formless. Uh, if, if we remember what, uh, what the wilderness looks like, there's a picture of the wilderness that Jesus would have gone into. And the idea that wilderness, it's lifeless, it's void. Life doesn't exist in the wilderness, right? And so when we see this parallel happening, uh, I actually, I love what Mark says. The way that Mark describes the story of Jesus in the wilderness, he says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals because the wilderness is wild and untamed uh, and lifeless. The wilderness is essentially a description of tohu wabohu, formless and void. And so the Spirit of God is hovering over Jesus. And what does Jesus go into? Jesus goes into the tohu wabohu. Jesus goes into the lifeless. Jesus goes into the wilderness. For what purpose? Right? The parallel being we're supposed to be reminded of the creation account right at the beginning of the Bible. Because Jesus is bringing a new creation. Jesus is bringing something new. He's creating something new. He's bringing life out of the chaos. He's bringing life to the lifeless, right? He's bringing life to the formless and the void. Life creating out of the tohu wabohu. And this idea of the new creation, it's it's actually so tied into what the third temptation is. The third temptation that the devil goes to him is, I want to read that for us again. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. I think it's really just pivotal to see the kingdoms of this world. I want you to keep that in your mind. The kingdoms of this world. So then Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. And then if we jump to chapter 4, verse 17, after Jesus comes out of the wilderness. Just a few verses after he comes out of the wilderness, what's really essentially the first thing it says that he does? Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? So the temptation is, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. But then Jesus, the second he comes out of the wilderness, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so this new creation that Jesus is bringing to the world, it says it right away, right after. It says the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus is bringing to us. It has come near to you. This is the new creation that's happening. And when you read through Matthew, it's really cool because this is chapter 4. Chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount lasts for three chapters, 5, 6, and 7. And it is essentially the, what this kingdom is all about, It's essentially because Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to take away the Torah that you've been given. I've come to fulfill it, right? 
And then it's his interpretation of the law, of the Torah, for three whole chapters. It's essentially his Sinai moment, the Sermon on the Mount. This is his moment where he's ushering in his kingdom, his new creation. And I think sometimes that idea of the kingdom of heaven, we get really confused by that. Because it triggers the wrong ideas and the wrong thoughts in our brains. Because when we think about a kingdom, we think about something like the kingdom of Great Britain. The kingdom of Great Britain is a place that you can go to. It's a place that you can visit. You can find an airplane. You can pay a bunch of money. And you can visit this kingdom. Right? But Jesus isn't talking about a place that you go to. Because sometimes when we see kingdom of heaven, what we immediately think of is, oh yeah, Jesus is talking about this place in the clouds where we go and play harps and become angels, right? No, it's not a biblical idea at all, right? Jesus, but Jesus really, throughout all of the Gospels, he explains what the kingdom of heaven is, what the kingdom of God is, and exactly how he's come to create that. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look what he says in Luke chapter 17. He says, He's been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. See, he talks so much about it that they're like, well, okay, when is it going to come? Right? And so then Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. What does that mean? Right? He says what it means in John chapter 3. I tell you the truth. He's talking to this, uh, this uh, rabbi named Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And then Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again, right? Because the kingdom of God, it's not a physical location. The kingdom of God is anything that is under the rule or the reign of heaven. Anything that is under the rule or the reign of God. And so that's why it's a very personal thing. It's a very spiritual thing to be part of this new creation, to be part of this kingdom, And then Jesus, he says it so profoundly, right at the end of his life, he gets arrested. And then Pontius Pilate, who's the governor, because they're occupied by this Roman Empire. And so he's the governor overseeing Judea from the Roman Empire. And he goes to Jesus and he says, they say you are a king. Are you a king? And then this is what Jesus says. Uh, John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place, right? If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. Because what we have to understand is that Jesus wanted to become a military Messiah. And if he wanted to take up arms and to take a mass of people to overthrow the Roman Empire, he could have. He absolutely could have. But what he's saying is, my kingdom is not of the values of your kingdom, Because the Roman Empire and the empire that came before this, the Greek Empire, and the empire that came before this, the Babylonian Empire, how you become a kingdom is through might. How you become a kingdom is through force, right? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 my kingdom is not of that world. My kingdom is from another place. And then he talks about the kingdom like it's a mustard seed. 
Has anyone ever bought mustard seeds before? They're tiny. They're so small. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. And then the very next verse, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed about 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. Because the kingdom, it's not this big thing that is won by force. It's not this thing that we rush because the temptation that the devil is offering him in this moment is, I can make this happen right away, Jesus. All you got to do is worship me and you get it right away. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to go to the cross for it. You don't have to go through all that pain, all that suffering. I'll give it to you now. But Jesus knows that this kingdom needs to be cultivated. This kingdom needs to start so small. This kingdom starts as a seed. A seed that has to essentially sacrifice its life so that it can grow into a tree, into this life-giving tree. And so essentially this kingdom that Jesus is coming to bring, this new creation that Jesus is bringing to the world, uh, is an empowerment of the life-giving spirit of God that is in him and that is him. I love how Paul reflects on this in 2 Corinthians when he wrote the letter to them. He says, if anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, Jesus is the new creation and he becomes the new creation in our life and we become a new creation when we allow that rule and reign of God, that rule and reign of Jesus, that rule and reign of heaven to really saturate every part of our life. And when we choose to become that, we get to join this new creation. We get to join this new thing that God is doing in the world. Um, I have this friend named Jake and I was hanging out with him on Friday night. Jake's an extremely talented musician, uh, and he was playing a show downtown, and between his set, I I was talking to him, uh, and Jake, he said to me, he goes, Bill, man, so good to see you. Man, I'm so sorry I haven't been to church in a while, which I always hate that, like when people have to like apologize for that, but also I said, Jake, you're wrong about that, right? You're wrong because you've got this wrong idea about what church is. Church is not a place that you go to. Church is not a building. Church is not a service time. Church is not a gathering. Like the church is people. The church is a people who have been, uh, who have given their lives to this kingdom. The church is a people that have given their lives to this new creation. That they would want to see life grow in the world. That they would want to, they would want God to use their hands to till soil and to, and to everything, every area that we go to, we touch, we can see a little glimpse, a foretaste of the kingdom of God come now, right? And I think so often many of us have this wrong idea about church and what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. And I think so often I, I read things about Uh, like the fastest growing church in America or the most creative church or the biggest church. And it's so easy even for myself to fall into those traps to want that, to desire that, to be jealous when you see another church that's doing all those good things and you're like, man, why can't we do that? These churches that are growing, you think, why can't we do that? It's easy for us to fall into those traps, right? Because what we have to realize 
is that every single one of you and me, we have fallen into the trap of the kingdoms of the world, right? We have fallen into the trap that power and greed are those things that we need in our lives. And it's really, really, really hard to submit to this new kingdom. It's really, really hard because it's an upside-down kingdom. So then Jake, he said, he said to me, because Jake is also a very talented uh, leather maker, and what he does is he creates these beautiful guitar straps out of a piece of leather, and he literally manually creates it with this chisel and this hammer. I don't know how he does it. He's got equipment for it. But they're amazing. They're beautiful. And so he said, you know, even though I haven't uh, really been connected to you guys, I, I, feel, I feel something deeply spiritual when I make these leather straps. You know, there's, he, he said, there's something about slowing down my life. There's something about taking this piece of leather and creating something. And then he said the most profound line, he said, there's something about taking this lifeless piece of skin and giving it life, giving it purpose again. And I was like, Jake, that is the gospel, right? That is the kingdom. That's exactly what it is. Like we are these lifeless pieces of skin that when the spirit of God descends on us, gives us new life, allows us to be a new creation, not just now, but forever, right? And I think so often we, we even are in the church, we can become obsessed with telling people, just read your Bible, just read your Bible, just read your Bible. When we forget that something like creating this leather strap, something like creating something new, giving something purpose, giving something meaning is just as spiritual, right? When we cultivate our families and we cultivate our lives, when we build gardens at our houses, when we sit with a warm cup of coffee and watch the sunrise, when we have a conversation with our neighbor who is lonely, when we do those things, those things are just as spiritual in the kingdom of heaven as they are reading our Bibles. And so I wonder today, like, where do you need the Spirit to bring life to your lifeless skin? What part of your life Do you want the Spirit of God to really hover over you and really to come to rest on you and in you and then lead you into the tohu wabohu, lead you into that place, lead you into the wilderness so that he can bring life to that place? What are those areas? What are those wildernesses? I love what um, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's not just a Bible verse that's meant for the t-shirt on the back of the t-shirt for high school basketball teams, right? It becomes one of those cliches, but what we don't understand is that when Christ is in us, Christ empowers us for what? He empowers us because he is life. He is creator. He is doing this new creation and that we can go with him. Just as Jesus went into the wilderness, when we have those wildernesses, when we see those wildernesses, we can step into those things and God can use that, can use our action to bring life, to bring his new creation. And really this is a conversation of courage and it's a conversation of risk because do you have the courage to take that journey? Right? Do you have the courage To risk everything when the Spirit says go. Or risk everything when the Spirit says, no, you need to stay. Do you want to live a mundane life? Or do you want God to be able to use you to let people who are slaves become free? And maybe for you that's not even metaphorical. 
So I wonder for you, like, what is that part of your life that you need to submit to the Spirit? Because Jesus says the way that we are entered and ushered into this kingdom is through the waters of baptism. And what is, what is the symbolism of the waters of baptism is that we die to ourselves and we are raised to new life in Jesus. We're raised into this kingdom. And when we do that, uh, Jesus breathes on us. He says in John chapter 20 uh, to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Because when we submit to the kingdom, when we submit to the waters of baptism where we die to ourselves, we allow the Spirit of God to rest on us and rest in us so that we, everywhere we go, whether it's a wilderness or a garden, God is with us. And God can do amazing, powerful things through your life. And so essentially... It's a conversation of, do you have the courage to want that? Do you want to be a part of that kingdom? Do you feel lifeless? Do you want Jesus to fill you with life again? Today is the day that I believe Jesus can breathe on you, and he can breathe on me, and he can empower us to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth, even as it is in heaven. And so what I want you guys to do is I want you to stand with me and I want to pray for us. So would you stand? Jesus, I pray right now, every single one of us has the courage to say yes to your kingdom, to say yes to this new creation that you started off as this tiny little mustard seed. 2,000 years ago and that we have seen your kingdom grow throughout the world but also in us we recognize and we understand that we are just dirt and God for a lot of us in here we feel dry, we feel empty we feel lifeless we feel formless and void we feel tohu wabohu So Jesus, I just pray that we will have the courage to say yes to you planting a seed in our soul. And that this seed, even today, the seed of a decision, the seed of a risk, the seed of a choice, can grow into this big, huge, powerful tree. A tree that takes root in our hearts and changes us forever so that we can see your kingdom come, we can see your new creation come, and that new creation can saturate the whole earth forever. And so Jesus, today, we follow you. You are our king. Your throne is a cross, your crown is thorns. And you did that to establish your kingdom of self-sacrifice. And God, today is the day that I choose and we choose to follow you and that journey where we sacrifice everything and we die to ourselves so that you can live in us. Today is that day. Jesus, breathe on us. Let us feel your spirit. Let us feel close to you and empower us 
to see so many blessings come to this world through our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our relatives, in our friends. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.